fry me in butter and call me a catfish. The Jewels of the Trade podcast. Encouraging professionals with industry inspiration, gemology, and more. Today, we're diving in to a really fascinating subject. You're listening to Jewels of the Trade. I'm Jordan. And I am not excited for all these puns. Don't be jaded. Introduce yourself. I'm Hunter. Oh, come on. I'm not trying to rock the boat. I'm just excited to introduce Justin Barrett, a jade diver in Big Sur, California, who does his own jade carving and even makes his own findings for contemporary nephrite jade jewelry. There are two gemstones appropriately called jade, jadeite and nephrite. Many people don't realize that some jade is actually found in the U.S., and that Canada is the number one producer of nephrite worldwide. Just in Jade deals in American jades, such as Big Sur Jade and Wyoming Jade, as well as BC Jade, which is nephrite from British Columbia, Yukon Jade, also from Canada, and Siberian Nephrite Jade as well. He's really making waves in Stop. the industry as an artist, really a sculptor, of natural nephrite jade. But that's just the tip of the iceberg. Let's just go to the interview now. But I'm having a whale of a time. Without further ado, Justin Barrett. Hey, everyone. I'm very excited to introduce Justin Barrett, an American jade diver and carver. Justin, I'll admit, I'm kind of fangirling over here. I am a huge fan of your work. Well, thank you. It's really great to have the opportunity to be here. Thank you for uh, having me. So what's interesting, everyone, about Justin and what he does, his brand is called Just In Jade because his name is Justin. <laughs> he actually sources the jade himself. And by sources, I mean, he mines the jade himself. Would you call it marine mining? Is that the appropriate term? I wouldn't say that. I'd say I have two ways that I source jade is one, I do mine it up in the Sierra foothills in the eastern part of California. I have some mining claims up there where it would be considered mining. And the other jade that I source is under the ocean in Big Sur, which is, I would say, more like collecting or searching for like treasure hunting almost. Treasure hunting. And you're, you're diving for it. I mean, you're like in the water, literally extracting it with your hands, right? Yeah. So in the early 80s, they imposed some regulations based on some people that were kind of getting out of control. And we kind of stuck to these regulations of we can only take what's loose. We're not allowed to break it or use mechanical means to take it out. So we're limited to what we can carry ourselves. And we go underwater and and kind of search in all the cracks and crevices and and uh, hope to find something substantial. And, and as long as it's not too big and we can carry it out ourselves, we're allowed to keep it. That's incredible. I actually, until I found your brand, I didn't even know that jade diving was a thing. In fact, I think a lot of people, even in the jewelry industry, don't realize that jade diving exists. How in the world did you get into this? How did you hear about it in the first place? I've always really been connected to the ocean since I was a kid. I grew up on the coast here in California. The connection to the ocean for me has always been a really important thing. I grew up surfing and and diving and kind of scouring the beach for treasures like seashells and things. And um, I was connected to Jade through the local surf community. And it just, it hit me when I found my first few pieces on the beach walking with with an old friend of mine. He took me down there and I was just hooked. It just, it kind of took hold of my life almost. It it became a passion, which became a lifestyle. And and now it's uh, my career. 
I absolutely love that. I can definitely tell that you're passionate about it. And it's incredible that this is your full-time job. I mean, you get to do what you love for a living. Can you tell our listeners a little bit more about your business and what all you offer? Yeah. So I'm kind of a source to sale guy at this point. I mind Jade rough in the Sierra foothills, as I said before, and also under the ocean. I'm pulling out a lot of uh, really beautiful stones that have been shaped by the ocean to kind of their own unique forms kind of like natural sculptures, if you will. I offer a series of products that are based in like rough for other carvers or collectors of natural stones. And then also I take the stones myself and I carve them and I carve stone from the local areas, my mining claims and the and the coast here. And then I also carve stone from all over the world into contemporary art and jewelry. So like wearable sculptures, I guess you, you could say. And um, I do some larger stuff, but it's not in my typical wheelhouse to do anything larger than a hundred pounds or so. It's so unique to see Jade in the way that Justin is carving it because it's so smooth and contemporary and kind of flowy. Is that how you would describe your style? Basically what I try to, I strive to create is life forms out of Jade, things that are flowing natural, like natural forms in, in nature, like aquatic animals or leaves or things I find in nature. And then I try to put a contemporary twist on them and make them my own. It's really incredible work. And I would say it seems like most of Justin's product is in the form of pendants and earrings. Yes, that's that's most of what I do. I think that's, you know, as a as a kind of a, a one-man show, I'm able to produce a lot more of those for a, the, uh, an audience than I would uh, a large carving, considering most even of my pendants, they take anywhere from you know five to 30 hours to create. And there's such a huge variety in appearance in all of the pendants and in all of the earrings because of kind of the variety of materials you're using, but also just variety of color within those materials. So I know that you work with nephrite and jadeite. Now, as a Mason K jade rep, I'm familiar with Burmese jadeite, but embarrassingly, I really don't know that much about nephrite. I don't know about the Yukon, the BC material, the Siberian material. And I, I really don't know very much about Big Sur or Guatemalan jadeite for that matter. Could you tell our listeners about these different materials and kind of why in the jade world we make these distinctions as well? Well, so First off, when you look at the nephrites, the nephrite has geological occurrences all over the world, anywhere from Australia, New Zealand, Canada, Alaska, the Midwest, sort of the continental divide area like Wyoming, California, all over California, there's nephrite occurrences. And um, there are very few jadeite occurrences. They go as far as Japan and um, Afghanistan, Pakistan. It really kind of has to do with the plate tectonic movement and the geology being correct where nephrite forms. Jadeite has a whole different geological makeup. Like the composition of it is very different. I know very little about it because I've been mostly a nephrite carver, but I do carve some jadeites. Uh, the jadeite that's found in Guatemala is a really beautiful blue gray color and a very beautiful blues and greens that kind of mix in. And I'm, I'm a fan. So I, I tend to carve it. The nephrite in Big Sur is very close to home. And it's it's something that's very valuable to me because it's something that I can find. And there's a, a really nice, quickly budding culture in this area that's kind of based around the Big Sur nephrite because we can find it. And there's a lot of people scouring the beaches and learning to dive and, and spending time appreciating the stone. And so then when they find something made of it, because it's local, they tend to kind of gravitate towards that. 
Big Sur Jade is actually nephrite. There is no jadeite in Big Sur. I did not know that. I thought it was jadeite. That's fascinating. <laughs> yeah. So the difference between nephrite and jadeite is the one, the chemical composition of the two, but the structure, I'm sure you know this from your work, is that jadeite is formed like little crystals that are kind of pressed together like a sugar cube almost, right? Mm-hmm. And that kind of makes up this really homogenous, very beautiful, translucent, hard stone that's very strong. And um, you're able to do quite a bit with it. In nephrite, the composition is, it's the, the differences are fairly subtle, but the, um, the structure is everything. So nephrite is one of the toughest geological substances that nature produces. And part of that is being that it's formed in a bunch of fine needles and plates. It's felted together kind of like felt, right? So um, if you think about like the grain in a piece of wood where it's very linear, nephrite has a very linear grain, whereas jadeite doesn't. So nephrite has to be oriented and cut based on the direction of the stone and the grain and the twists and turns that it has because it is similar to wood in that way where it can kind of twist and move and turn because it was at one point, I believe, kind of gelatinous. Wow. And so it makes it by having that structure of all of these little needles that make up plates and it's kind of like that linear grain, it can be very, very tough. And so the jade and Big Sur, the nephrite, is kind of beaten into submission by the ocean in a way. So it's, it's sculpted by abrasion and impact. And so that's why we get these really beautiful stones that have these amazing patinas that are, you can't reproduce, you know, with any kind of tooling. And you were telling me before we started the podcast recording, and I didn't realize this either, that Big Sur Jade actually comes in a variety of colors as well. It doesn't always look that, that kind of dark green. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Nephrite Jade and I believe jadeite all have a very broad color palette from different origins. Big Sur is very kind of set in the earthy tones of the colors, but I, I, they, there are some brighter greens, but they're just not as as common. The more commons are the grays and the, the kind of blue greens and the blue grays. And then it goes everywhere from, you know, a black to you know, an, a white or an avocado green or a bright green with, with beautiful chrome inclusions. And um, a lot of our jade kind of has um, value based on the character of the inclusion or the swirls that are kind of mixed into it. Whereas jade in other areas is, is kind of valued for its homogenous and purity and where it's, you know, uh, there's not a lot of extra stuff going on in there. Which of the jades is your favorite to work with or which one do you work with the most? That's hard to say. I, I spend a lot of time working with Big Sur Jade, even though it's kind of a chore. <laughs> Our jade is typically a little bit more loosely felted than other nephrites in the world. So it's it's a little chippy. I think when I started out doing this, people were kind of like, well, why do you want to do this? This is not the jade you want to work with. You know, go go look to Siberia or British Columbia. <laughs> You like a challenge then. Yeah, it's it's a challenge, but it's it's our local stone. And it it you know, for me being a big Sir Jade carver, it wouldn't serve me to only carve Wyoming nephrite, you know? Right. Oh, sure. Well, yeah, where you're located, I feel like there's there must be a lot of pride in that jade and I don't know, it's California. It's California jade. That's so cool. Like <laughs> in the Midwest, we think like, wow, if it's from California, it must be so exotic and it's like a it's like a totally different world over there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it, we've been building a culture slowly around it over the last, you know, few decades and it's, uh, it's 
you know, proven to be pretty prolific in certain areas, like in the central coast of California is, um, you know, kind of budding with, with this like Jade subculture that anywhere from, you know, in about a 80 to hundred mile radius, there's people that have a piece of Big Sur Jade. And I find people in Oregon and Washington that are, you know, touting that they have a beautiful piece of Big Sur Jade sometimes. And it's, it's nice to see it like slowly expanding its reach. That's amazing. I'm so glad to hear that. Yeah, I know. I, I give it away in places where I go. When I have gone up to Canada, I've given it to people there. And you know, go to Wyoming, I'll give it to a person there and just kind of do my part to spread it a little bit. So this community is growing, you say, and, and there's a lot of people working with the material, becoming more aware of the material, and then more shoppers for Big Sur Jade. It sounds like there's a growing market for it. Can you talk a little bit about the retail pricing for Big Sur Jade, and also the type of target market, uh, the type of people who might be shopping for Big Sur Jade. As far as the the market goes, I think that in my world, you know, by selling earrings and carved pendants, aside from the rough stone, the target market is kind of anyone who can appreciate something beautiful around their neck or on their ears. It kind of transcends many different types of people. And, you know, I think it's for everyone to appreciate you know, I think there's, there's a lot of stigma around Jade being kind of a Far East thing, but um, I think we spoke about that before. As far as I'm concerned, you know, I think everybody should have the opportunity to, to appreciate Jade. In my eyes, I kind of look at it as I'm, I'm creating artifacts because the stone was here long before we were, and it'll be around long, long after we're gone. So who knows how many generations or, or civilizations these pieces will kind of connect with. So talk a little bit about the prices that customers and retailers alike can expect when looking at Big Sur Jade. Big Sur Jade is is, is such a, a small percentage of good quality stone that I think that a lot of people value it for really high prices. I think that that someone like myself or, and other people who are doing this for a living are, have to look at it from a more realistic point of view where I like to to keep my stuff in the range where it's accessible for both retailers and consumers. So I typically kind of sell my stuff in the low hundreds as far as like some of my entry level items and they go on up to the you know low thousands where you know I think some of the pieces I've sold are in the three thousand dollar range but uh most of the time they're they're anywhere from you know five hundred to fifteen hundred. Wouldn't you say with all the work and effort that goes into it and with how beautiful this material is, I think the only thing that's not in its favor is that it's so limited. There hasn't been enough marketing to really spread the word and tell customers, hey, there's this exciting material coming out of California. It's incredibly tough. You can do these amazing sculptures with it. I think people having not heard of it, not known about it, maybe that elusiveness has probably affected the value, but that doesn't make it worse material. It sounds to me like it's just not well known yet. Am I right? Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, I think people know about it. It's also, you know, a very, like a very limited resource. And it's been a very kind of young cultural perspective around it because it's only been being harvested for about 80 years here. And so it's, it's not like other cultures that, that have Jade kind of in the, the 5,000 year range where they've been you know, utilizing it and, and have a cultural significance based around the stone for, you know, as long as, you know, history writes where, um, here it's kind of been since the, the late forties, I think it was discovered here and, and started kind of becoming a thing. So we're all working on trying to build 
to build this culture and build the appreciation on a broad level. But I think it's just only been able to reach so far because it's not been, uh, it's not been around that long. But it's growing and it's building. Talk a little bit more about this community that you've mentioned a couple of times. I know that there's a number of jade divers and jade carvers. I was not under the impression that there were many people doing this, but it sounds like it's really growing. Yeah. So, you know, I started doing this about 24, 25 years ago was the first time I I actually started finding jade. And, you know, back then there was, there was only a handful of people, you know, I'd say there was one, one main sculptor who has since passed. Unfortunately, he was a an old man when I met him and he stuck around for a while, but you know, eventually he expired and there was, you know, a few people doing some, some very kind of rudimentary carvings that were inspiring for me, you know, to, to get started. But, um, as this has grown, we've kind of worked into having a a culture around, you know, contemporary jade carving and, and, you know, um, really kind of nicer looking jewelry and things. But the, the main part of the culture is around, uh, finding the very few and far between good quality stones on the beach and underwater. And I think the divers and the beach hunters that walk around and, and look for stone, they all have a little bag in their car of their, their finest gemstones, whether they be the size of your thumbnail or a couple of pounds, you know, and uh, that seems to spread the word a little, a little farther. And then the jewelry kind of follows after that, if that makes sense. Oh, absolutely. No, I love it. I love hearing about Big Sur Jade. It's something that I personally have not seen very much of, and and I would like to change that. I'd love to see more of it, and I'd love to see more people shopping for it and wearing it. Now, you sell quite a bit of Canadian nephrite as well, right? Yeah. And then Siberian, which is Russian material, which is all nephrite too, right? Yes. Now, some of those, I want to say, is it the Yukon jade, the Yukon nephrite that tends to be a little bit yellower, maybe not quite as rich green, maybe a lighter color? Yeah, so... A lot of the the Yukon stuff has uh, a lot of inclusions that are usually bright green, but the the main color of the body stone is kind of pale. Makes for really great earrings and jewelry because it, the the inclusions make a really beautiful statement. And it seems to be really translucent too. Yeah, yeah. A lot of the Canadian uh, nephrites from from North America, the, the Alaskan and Canadian stuff is is very very translucent and very saturated greens. Whereas you kind of move south down to here and into California and over to Wyoming, they kind of end up being kind of the more earthy tone, like almost, I call them just, just kind of earthy colors, but I guess they would be considered kind of muddled and, and not quite as translucent. Whereas uh, Siberian as well is another very, very translucent jade. And Siberian nephrite, if I'm not mistaken, can be like vivid apple green. I mean, Siberian nephrite can sometimes look like jadeite. Yeah. Yeah. There actually is jadeite in Siberia. As far as I know, I've not ever worked with it. You know, I definitely utilize jades from all over the world to kind of broaden what my offerings look like because not everybody wants a dark gray piece of Big Sur jade on their neck. Somebody might want something that's more of a seafoam green with the black speckles or, you know, I guess it's whatever appeals to, to the consumer. That's what I love about your collection, Justin, is that it really has a lot of variety. It has the the yellower, the brighter green, the bluer green, you know, some of the darker stuff. And with the different sources of nephrite and jadeite that you have, I feel like people can get a really good idea of the spectrum of jade when looking at your collection and your portfolio. No, thank you. So tell me, what's the most incredible jade specimen that you found, or maybe even the largest jade that you found when diving? I guess you'd have to ask if you found it or brought it home, because I've found really, really large stones in the ocean. 
but there would never be a way you could get them home. <laughs> you know, they're, they're, you know, bigger than your car, <laughs> but they're, they're great to look at. They're a lot of fun to, to swim by and, and pet and just, you know, just admire. That's such a unique experience that you've had. There's so many of us who work with Jade and love Jade or buy Jade who would just absolutely love to be able to see a huge boulder up that up close and in person like that. And how incredible is it that you get to have these experiences? And this is this is your job. This is your career. I mean, you get to just you see it and touch it and like experience Jade in a way that the rest of the world doesn't and and never has. I mean, you're probably one of the few people in history that's ex- experienced Jade in that way. I guess I'd be one of a few people for sure. There's there's definitely been a, a an ebb and flow of people throughout the last eighty years that do this, but I don't think that it, as far as a a pile of people, it would be you know maybe a hundred of people have done this over the last however many decades. For me, this kind of what keeps me coming back is is to be able to have the opportunity to find these beautiful specimens because every specimen is unique in its own way. So when you ask what my best specimen is, I have so many beautiful stones and each one is its own entity in a way. I think for me, more than anything, it's about the experience or adventure that I have in getting each piece because each one is has a different set of circumstances or, or conditions that go with it. Each piece really has a story then and probably a really exciting story. <laughs> I've got a couple good ones, that's for sure. That's incredible. <laughs> well, I'd love to hear. Share an interesting story from one of your Jade adventures. We'd love to hear. Okay, so so here's, here's a good one that always pops out in my head is... Um, we're diving, you know, in Big Sur, we're, we're donning about a hundred pounds of gear and we're hiking it across about 200 yards of a, of a slightly sloped meadow. And then we carry it about 200 feet down a cliff to the beach. And then we hop across the boulders and then start our dive, you know, in the water there. Gosh, you get a workout. It's an adventure just to get the, the gear to the ocean to do the diving. So that being considered, I'm out there diving. I have a friend of mine and, and we were in a nearby area. But unfortunately, when you're looking for stone, it's hard to keep up with your buddy. So a lot of the time you're spent, you know, your dive is spent alone and um, you just kind of meet up on the beach before and after the dive. And hey, how'd you do? You know, so this one, I was, I found a piece in a very small hole with a flashlight and it was farther than I could reach. And so I had to kind of circle this giant boulder that this piece was underneath. And I found an opening that was packed with big boulders. And so I slowly but surely throughout my dive moved these big boulders out of the way to kind of expose this opening to this cave that I could see. And I couldn't get there with my, with my scuba gear on. So I had taken my gear off and I tied it off to a piece of a kelp or a, a rock nearby. And I got a good breath and I was wiggling my way into this crack to get this piece. And I just had my fingertips on it. And I guess my buddy had come around the corner and just seen my, my scuba gear sitting there tied off. And he saw the tips of my fins sticking out from underneath this rock. And I was kind of twitching, trying to get deeper to get the stone into my hands. And I was just touching it with my fingertips, but I couldn't get a hold of it. And all of a sudden I started flying backwards and he was scared. He had thought I was stuck and I was trying to get out when I was really trying to get deeper to get this piece. And What a bro. <laughs> we played tug of war with a minute. That's a good friend. <laughs> So as we're playing tug of war, I'm trying to get this piece and I finally get a hold of it and he pulls really hard and pulled me out. And it was the funniest thing because I was still had plenty of breath. I was, I still had plenty of time before I needed a breath. And 
I'm holding the piece up to his face to show him. And he's going, here's your, your mouthpiece. Take a breath. And I, we're kind of using hand signals. Like, here, look at this. And he's like, dude, just breathe, you know? <laughs> it was a pretty funny experience, you know? And, and he tells a story a little differently than I do. But, you know, I, I, I thought it was a good time. <laughs> well, I guess that does kind of bring to light the risks of jade diving. I mean, it, it must be kind of dangerous. Oh, absolutely. I mean, one, you're, you're in the ocean battling the elements and, and where we dive in for Jade is, um, very remote. It's it, a, one road in one road out and it's, you know, an hour and a half drive on a good day without any traffic to the nearest hospital. How far down do you dive? I dive in, you know, typically in the 20 to 40 foot range, I guess. But, you know, I've been adventuring over the last couple of years to some areas that we kind of decided that no one's ever been into the 60 and 70 foot range, which is, you know, really, really far offshore because the, the shelf there where the, where the, all the kind of reef, we call it goes really, really far. I mean, you know, quarter mile, third of a mile offshore is where it kind of ends. And so to, to dive out there, it's a, a pretty big commitment, but you know, it's, it's not been super lucrative so far. So, I've, you know, I definitely have to do my dives a little closer to shore to find stuff. I'm glad you're staying safe and I'm glad that you have buddies that'll <laughs> apparently yank you out <laughs> when you're, when you're trying to find Jade, but that's awesome. It must be really nice to have a community like that, that, you know, you can count on and I'm sure you feel much safer being out there with people. I'm guessing it's a rule of thumb that you never dive alone. Like people probably don't do that. Right. Well, unfortunately, where we dive, there's a lot of dives spent alone. And if there is people there, they're kind of in the general area. But yeah, it's it's scuba diving kind of rule of thumb for sure is you're supposed to dive with a buddy all the time. So I, I wouldn't recommend diving without a buddy. You should get like an underwater life alert, like a little button you can press. I wish they made those. <laughs> I think they have beacons. You have to get them to the surface though. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that makes sense. That makes sense. So the jade diving is absolutely fascinating and I could listen to you talk about it all day, but I do want to also focus on the carving because finding American jade carvers is very unusual. I mean, I feel like just finding gemstone carvers in general is unusual. So you're kind of in a niche of a niche of a niche. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's like, it's just such an unusual thing, but I love it. And I love, I'm just so happy that you exist. <laughs> I'm so happy that there are people like you doing what you're doing. And so tell us about carving. Tell us about getting into carving and your craft as a carver. So jade carving is, is kind of one of those things for me, especially that has kind of sparked a lot of different problem solving aspects of my life. And it really helps in a, in a lot of ways of like staying present and like not letting, you know, the, my mind's chatter kind of get a hold of me, which in itself is a, is in a certain amount of work because jade carving every stone is different and every stone from each origin has its own set of differences and so when you're working a stone and surfacing a stone different methods have to be kind of implemented and when we first started doing this there wasn't a lot of resources for for jade carving it was kind of lapidary art or construction and we had kind of had to myself and, and the other carvers that i knew were coming up around with me we had to kind of marry the two where instead of using, you know, just the typical lapidary stuff, we would start making some of our own tools that would get into the small cracks and, and, you know, polish and carve the stuff that 
you know, we couldn't really access with the typical tooling that was available to us. So, you know, I, I learned, especially when I was young and, and kind of limited for resources, I, I would, you know, take a old weight bench from my backyard that I found in a house furnace and dismantle these things and put them all together to make rock saws and grinders and things that, that I, I saw that were just a little bit out of my reach financially. <laughs> and so I, I learned a lot about, you know, tooling and building tools and how to run them properly and stuff. And that, that was a big part of, of learning to be a jade carver as well. Now there's, there's a little more resources that are available, but you know, it, it takes a lot of patience. You have to be able to sit down and persevere through not wanting to do the hard parts. Well, and I'm sure the risk of what if I ruin this, you know, <laughs> like when you're dealing with, yeah, such, such fun, such unique material and thinking like, oh my gosh, I have to do this right. Yeah. I've gotten hours and hours into a carving just to have it fall apart or to make, take a wrong turn, so to speak. And, and there it goes, you know, it becomes an entirely different carving or it ends up in the scrap bin. But you learn something, right? There's always a bright side. (laughs) Every time, every time. I love that. So what advice do you have for people who are wanting to get into jade carving? I think the, the advice that I have for people would be to have patience with yourself because jade carving is a, a long-term endeavor. It's something that doesn't come easily or quickly. You can learn the basics rather fast in a, in a week or so. And it's just each having each stone be so different. It, it, you have to kind of take the time to, to kind of learn each stone and each method and, and how to how and when to implement each one. And to that, I actually teach classes sometimes to people. I do private lessons where I teach some of those basic things and have people come and spend usually about three days with me and kind of give them the basics of like design and, and how to go and walk through a carving from start to finish. Can people source rough from you as well? Yes, they can. I'm limited to, to what rough I do offer. I only offer rough from my mining claims and from the Big Sur area. You know, all the other stuff that I, I get from elsewhere, I have connections that can, they can source from there, but it just doesn't make sense for me to, to, to go get it and then bring it to them at a markup. I'd rather have them have access to stone at, at an affordable price. Absolutely. And then can people consult with you on what type of lap to get and kind of how to get started with equipment? Yeah, absolutely. That's a big part of what we run through in my little workshops that I do is, is, uh, you know, tooling and, and, uh, you know, what, what you need, what you don't need, how to use things properly and safely, things like that. Excellent. I think that's a wonderful resource to have. So many people want to get into lapidary and I think don't know where to start or, or don't know who to talk to. And I think it's, it's particularly difficult here in the States, you know, to get into it because there's just such limited resources, I think. So it's wonderful that people can learn directly from you that they can reach out to you and use you as a resource and take classes with you, lessons with you. And you're located in California. Everybody wants to go to California. So why not go spend three days in California and and learn how to carve jade? That sounds like a dream. So great news for all of our retailers listening. Justin does not just sell direct to consumers, but he also sells wholesale. So yes, retailers, you can learn jade carving from him. You can learn all about Big Sur Jade. You can source rough from him, but you can also buy wholesale pendants, earrings. Yeah, pendants, earrings. Um, I do, you know, commission pieces, and I, you know, I also sell um, a limited amount of of rough stone for uh, like specimen quality stuff. Excellent. How can retailers get in touch with you directly and learn more? 
Uh, I think my website, justinjade.com is probably the best way to get a hold of me. There's contact information on there and, and, uh, I'm happy to take phone calls if somebody wants to reach out. Well, retailers, I highly recommend it. Justin is just a wealth of information and a fantastic resource and such a nice guy. So definitely check out his website, learn more about his carving and the materials that he works with and talk to him about getting it in your store and and educating your staff more on this material and helping customers find this incredible gemstone that comes from California of all places. Justin, tell us to wrap up. What's the future for Justin Jade? I think the future of Justin Jade is to scale my business just enough so that it doesn't lose its authenticity or integrity, but can still offer my wares to a broad audience, you know, spreading the, I guess the, the coastal, I always kind of say the, the soul of the coast here. Justin, thank you so much for joining us today and talking about your incredible Jade diving adventures. Retailers who are listening to this podcast, thank you so much for supporting the podcast, listening on your drive to work or in your store with staff. I appreciate you all so much and have really enjoyed your feedback. Just a friendly reminder, you can subscribe to my monthly marketing tips email newsletter at my website, jotblog.com. We send out trending reels audio, ghost written blog content for your store's website, shareable social media photos, and more. Also, don't forget to visit the Jewels of the Trade YouTube channel for shareable content to encourage customers to shop with their local independent jewelry store while educating them with accurate information on jewelry and gemstones. And be sure to say hey on Instagram at Jewels of the Trade. That's Jewels underscore of underscore the underscore trade.